Richard Wright's short story collection, Eight Men, has some pretty incredible writing in it and is full of incredibly important ideas. Uh, it's where we, uh, where we find the short story of The uh, Man Who Lived Underground and where we find the piece uh, we talked about uh, you know, that I'm processing here, uh, The Man Who Was Almost a Man. The Man Who Was Almost a Man I mean, it's a very short story, and in some ways, you know, it's it's has a pretty straightforward and simple theme. But it rejoins this question that we talked about in The Man Who Lived Underground and uh, Native Son, both the novel and, and especially the film adaptation that we watched for class and discussed, which is, you know, what does it mean to be the object of violence, right? That is be the target of violence in an anti-black world as a black man. And, you know, the fact that Fred Daniels in The Man Who Lived Underground and Bigger Thomas in Native Son, the fact that the, the main characters are men, doesn't get thematized as that question of masculinity, of black masculinity in particular. But it should. And I think what the man who was almost a man helps us see is how important it is to understand that what Richard Wright is interrogating is a particular form and particular historical experience of masculinity. The man who was almost a man picks up on really the, the pre-life of somebody like Bigger Thomas or Richard Wright himself, right? It's set in the rural South, set on a farm, and... Um, the main character right, is, is a, a, a young man, he's a teenage, I think a, a teenager, and he is obsessed with, uh, with, uh, with violence, right? He's obsessed with acquiring a gun, right? Something his parents forbid and something that puts his, himself and his family in danger, given their arrangement with uh, Jim Hawkins, who is the landowner, the wealthy landowner of, of what we have to presume is a former plantation and now being used as a sharecropping arrangement. Being used as a sharecropping arrangement is really important because that is essentially um, a reinvented or um, you know, just revised version of, a version of enslavement, but rather than physical and political subjugation, sharecropping is this relationship that where uh, white landowners would let black people farm, families uh, farm on their land, but they would charge more for the land than the land per year than the land could ever produce, or you know keep them at that level of barely making it. Right, it's a form of economic subjugation rather than political or legal subjugation, which slavery, you know, was uh, at some fundamental level. And so that. Being subject to that kind of social social violence, that economic and, and psychological violence, that's a part of the man who lived underground. That's part of Native Son for sure. And here we just have a shift in setting to start talking about this at the um, at the uh, in the context of, of the rural South. And the story is really quite simple. Um, in terms of, of its trajectory, that is the the you know parents don't want him to get a gun. He nevertheless acquires a gun and shoots a mule 
right? And he shoots and kills a mule that belongs to Jim Hawkins, the landowner. And so now he's faced with the, the reality that he can either flee or he can pay for this mule. And as he sees what it would take to pay for the mule, he sees that it commits him to, you know, years and years and years and years of slow payment of that debt. In that way, the debt over the mule is just an example of, or, or a, a, an intensification and focus of uh, the structure of sharecropping more broadly. In the end, he leaves, right? But in the meantime, what we get, and what I think is so important about this story, we get a story about his relationship, the, this young man's relationship to the gun, right? And Because one thing is like, you know, does he need the gun? Um, you know, does Dave, Dave Saunders, the, the main character, does he want the gun in order to kill somebody? Does he have an agenda? Does it have a specific purpose? And it doesn't, and that's really important, that he doesn't have a specific purpose in mind. Rather, there's something about what the gun represents, right, in relationship to his own masculinity, that is so important. And so what we talked about in class was this idea of, not this idea, but this reflection Richard Wright is taking us on where we see the, um, where we see the structure of anti-black racism bearing down on, on black men as a form of emasculation. Right. And as a form of emasculation, what it does, and this is just a definition of, of emasculation, is remove the phallus. Well, what does remove the phallus mean? Right. It means remove what is this, in terms of psychoanalysis, this iconic location or locale of power, right, which is in masculinity, the penis, right, in this idea then of like of the phallus is like a symbol, you know, functions at the level of, of symbolism of the symbolic rather than literally what's on a person's body. But it is linked to patriarchy. It's linked to masculine power and senses of empowerment. And if part of, you know, the structure of anti-black racism has been to emasculate black men, the question is, where does re-masculation, where does the, the assertion <coughs> and creation of, uh, you know, after emasculation, where is the, the assertion and creation of masculinity? And what we see in this short story is how that's negotiated through the gun. And it's not simply that the gun gives Dave power. What the gun does is give him a sense of masculinity. And so one of the things I talked about in class, and I, I, it's so important to read the story closely this way, is all the ways the gun functions as an erotic object and functions as a phallus. So I want to read a couple of passages that I read in class, but they're worth reading again in order to underscore this. This is on page 10 of Eight Men, uh, the man who was almost a man. Uh, Richard Wright uh, writes, The first movement he made the following morning, this is right after Dave acquires a gun, was to reach under his pillow for the gun. In the gray light of dawn, he held it loosely, feeling a sense of power. Could kill a man with a gun like this, kill anybody, black or white. And if he were holding his gun in his hand, nobody could run over him. 
they would have to respect him. That's so important, respect him. It was a big gun with a long barrel and a heavy handle. He raised and lowered it in his hand, marveling at its weight. So this description of the gun on, on page 10, which is you know maybe halfway through the story, is important because of the intimacy uh, you know that it's in bed with him and that he holds it in a way that is erotic right it's like he's discovering his own sexual pleasure right in his own body but he's discovering it while holding the gun and he marvels at it and it's not just that he's marveling at the power but he's marveling at how this gun this this phallic symbol would give him a sense of respect for anyone who came near him. He said, they, they couldn't run over me, right? He said, they couldn't run over me. And that's that sense of like a man is able to stand his ground, right? We could be cynical about, you know, and critical about all of these gendered kind of figures, but just, you know, they are what they are, right? They're in the, the story. So we, we talk about them the way they're in the story. But also that Richard Wright is on to something around emasculation and also about in this society we live in, right? From the 1930s to the, you know, uh, 2023, that the capacity to take life, the capacity to act violently is a condition of one's own standing in society in really important ways. And we can be critical of it, but it's part of our social imaginary. That is that weakness, right? Emasculation on that sort of patriarchal model of like how men understand they're supposed to be in the world, right? That they're supposed to have this sense of power over self and others, right? It's taken away and it's taken away through the gun. It's taken away through violence. So it's also reclaimed through violence and here reclaimed through the gun. That doesn't change his entire world. But what it does, and this maybe we can go back to a little bit and evoke a little bit of Angela Davis's lecture on liberation and say that, you know, what the gun allows Dave Saunders to do in the story is to negate the image of him as an emasculated uh, uh, human, right? As an emasculated, quote, man, right? As, and this gets to, we talked about this in class, the vernacular uh, insult of grown black men as boy, right? It allows him to be a man and not a boy. And so it's not simply that he can kill, it's that he can be a man, right? Or almost a man, because it doesn't change the world, but what it does is allow him to negate the boy that he is, the boy that society has made him, the boy that the social relation of sharecropping and Hawkins farm and plantation structure to negate the boy that has produced. And he negates it not through reclaiming another meaning of boy or ignoring it or having some sort of spiritual journey, but through the possession of a gun that demands respect. That possession of a gun that allows him to claim a role, a place in the phallic order, right? To claim he is a man to claim that he has power and deserves respect. It doesn't change his world because um, in the end he has to flee. So I want to read this last little bit of the story where he, 
you know, he kills the mule. He's calculated, you know, what his life would be if he had to repay this and decides to leave instead. So he writes, this is on the bottom um, of uh, about halfway through page 17 onto page 18. He writes, <clears throat> well, if he had to, he would take old man Hawkins that $2, but that meant selling the gun. And he wanted to keep that gun. I've already talked about why that's important. $50 for a dead mule. He turned over, thinking how he had fired the gun. He had an itch to fire it again. If other men can shoot a gun, by God, I can. He was still listening. Maybe they all sleeping now. The house was still. He heard the soft breathing of his brother. Yes, now. He would go down and get that gun and see if he could fire it. He eased out of bed and slipped into overalls. The moon was bright. He ran almost all the way to the edge of the woods. He stumbled over the ground, looking for the spot where he had buried the gun. Yeah, here it is. Like a hungry dog scratching for a bone, he pawed it up. He puffed his black cheeks and blew dirt from the trigger and barrel. He broke it and found four cartridges unshot. He looked around. The fields were filled with silence and moonlight. He clutched the gun stiff and hard in his fingers, right? That, that when he says he, clit, he clutched the gun stiff and hard in his fingers. This is what I'm talking about when I say it's a phallic symbol, right? This sense of, of autoeroticism, right? That he's, he's pleasuring himself by touching the phallic symbol, right? That is attached to his own body because it's held in one hand, caressed by the other. But as soon as he wanted to pull the trigger, he shut his eyes and turned his head. Nah, I can't shoot with my eyes closed and my head turned. With effort, he held his eyes open. Then he squeezed. Bloom. He was stiff, not breathing. The gun was still in his hands. Damn it, he'd done it. He fired again. Bloom. He smiled. Bloom. Bloom. Click, click. There, it was empty. If anybody could shoot a gun, he could. He put the gun into his hip pocket startled started across the fields when he reached the top of the ridge he stood straight and proud in the moonlight looking at jim hawkins big white house feeling the gun sagging in his pocket this is kind of like after sex feeling to this right where he still feels it heavy right in his pocket he says lord if i had just one more bullet i'd take a shot at that house i'd like to scare old man hawkins just a little just enough to let him know Dave Saunders is a man. Right, so if, if I am saying, you know, the man, he becomes, you know, Dave Saunders becomes a man, overcomes his, the derogatory category boy through the gun, there it is, right? He would shoot a bullet to let him know that he's a man. Going on. To his left, the road curved, running to the tracks of the Illinois Central. This is a key train line from the rural south up to uh, Chicago and part of the great migration of African-Americans from the south around this time in the 20s and 30s. <clears throat> he jerked his head, listening. From far off came a faint hoof, 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 hoof. He stood rigid. Two dollars a month. Let's see now. That means it'll take about two years. Shucks, I'll be damned. Right? Calculating again. If I stay... All my money goes to repaying for the death of this mule. Right. He started down the road toward the tracks. 
Yeah, here she comes. He stood behind, beside the track and held himself stiffly. Here she comes around the bend. Come on, you slowpoke, come on. He had his hand on his gun. Something quivered in his stomach. Then the train thundered past. The gray and brown boxcars rumbling and clinking. He gripped the gun tightly. Then he jerked his hand out of his pocket. I bet you Bill wouldn't do it. I bet you. The car slid past steel, grinding upon steel. I'm riding you tonight, so help me God. He was hot all over. He hesitated just a moment, then he grabbed, pulled, pulled atop the car, and lay flat. He felt his pocket. The gun was still there. Right, He still remains a man. He's leaving and fleeing the South, but he's still a man because of the gun. Ahead, the long rails were glinting in the moonlight, stretching away, away to somewhere, somewhere where he could be a man. That's the end of the story. And in that end of the story, where he could be a man, is in part Richard Wright commenting on the Great Migration and saying, like, you know, black men are leaving the South because it's a place where they can be men, right? But he's already become a man by the negation of the category boy. And that negation of the category boy is negotiated through his possession of the gun, through his capacity to take life rather than have life taken from him. That sense of power, that sense of masculinity is what drives the story. And I think that Richard Wright is on to a really important truth about a violent patriarchal society such as ours in the United States, then and now. That men who feel emasculated, in this case it's the emasculation through race and its history, that men who feel emasculated, the only way to assert their masculinity is to have the capacity to, and even practice, taking life. When Dave Saunders does it, he takes life, or he has the capacity to take life, to get that small element of respect, right? That he could scare old man Hawkins, right? That he could let him know, I'm a man too, and that would change the social relation completely. But it's a social relation that his family doesn't want changed or is not willing to take the steps to make it change. They don't want him to have a gun. They know what's at stake in him having a gun. And so he has no choice but to leave, to leave in a place where he could become a man, to be, a place, to be in a place where perhaps the gun, like it functions very much in Native Son, where Bigger Thomas, you know, one of his claims among his friends that's important is he made a gun, he has a gun. Right? To go to a place where having a gun could allow him to be a man, to grow that sense of masculinity and not be as he is in the story, as he is in the rural South, always a boy, always without the capacity to take life always without the capacity to demand respect. Now that he's behind the gun, he's a man, and what does a man do to preserve his manhood? He flees that place, an an the anti-black world of the rural South. He'll later discover it's the anti-black world of the South Side of Chicago, that's native son. But here he's leaving the social relation that produced him as the category boy his father as the category boy, for at least the slight hint or glimmer of a possibility of thinking, I am a man. 
And I want us to think a lot about what it means to live in a society where that exercise of power over other men to the point of death, what that does to a sense of masculinity and to the masculinity of those for whom that's not an aspiration or a reality. That's where our next piece, Moonlight, becomes so significant. But here, again, Richard Wright is on to the structure of our social relationship in the United States that produces senses of masculinity so connected to guns, so connected to violence, so connected to the taking of life. And when you add in the question of race and emasculation there, the gun becomes the place where someone is able to say, yes, I possess this. And because I possess this, you cannot see me or call me a boy. Rather, you have to understand and respect me as a man. And that entryway into the possibility of other kinds of social relations, to other kinds of worlds, to a transformation of the world as we know it, is something that Wright is getting us up to the precipice and saying, where are we? How did we get here? And what is our next step? How do we change that social relation? Is it to be with a gun? Yes. Are there other possibilities? Richard Wright leaves that up to us. <laughs>